This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. Hi, Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the mission of the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Financial Student Aid? How is FSA using innovation to change the way it meets its mission? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Stacy Wissanot, Innovation and Strategy Team Leader at FSA. Stacy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you all uh, taking the time to hear what I have to say. I'd like to start off with some context for our audience. And could you give us a brief overview of the history and mission of the U.S. Department of Education's federal student aid? Yes, sure. And so the Department of Education has a performance-based organization called Federal Student Aid. And the Federal Student Aid uh, is an organization that manages the $1.6 trillion currently in student loan. Um, they, are, they were commissioned to deliver both financial aid grants uh, to students' parents and also loans for borrowers that may need um, additional financing to continue their education in the post-secondary world. What about your, your role during your time at FSA? Could you tell us a little bit more about that role and how did your work um, help FSA meet its missions? Absolutely. I was uh, tapped on the shoulder late 2018 to uh, come work on this initiative called the Next Gen, which is the next generation of students, parents and borrowers. And how do we reimagine uh, paying for college in the future? And uh, with that strategy comes, you know, how do we modernize both our um, technology infrastructure, both from front door to back door, uh, as well as make our experience more user-friendly for our students, parents, and borrowers to deliver this information and the opportunity in a seamless manner, um, as well as to rethink who can we better serve and better help to you know, ultimately be able to reduce down the portfolio. Our goal is to get loans out the door, but our mission is also to have a successful repayment and make sure that we are delivering aid to the customers that not only need it the most, but will also be able to repay because it is at ultimately at the end of the day, taxpayer dollars that are that's being used to um, originate the loans out of this portfolio. So I was brought on board to uh, rethink and reimagine the future experience, uh, primarily focusing on the mobile app being the vehicle to deliver and stay in contact with our, our audience. Um, and then after I landed there at the Idea Lab, we, we, we had a bright idea to create an innovation center and lane, not only for external ideas, but we had a lot of employees who, who, had, who have had 
great ideas for years. They just needed a platform and a vehicle to shepherd those ideas up to leadership, be able to pilot, visualize, create um, the story of the idea, really just make it more marketable and sell it to leadership to potentially, you know, be approved for a pilot or some sort of feasibility study to, to explore that idea. And so um, after I landed at the, at the Federal Student Aid Organization, my first task was to stand up this innovation center and create a robust process that would shepherd these ideas up to leadership directly. So all the ideas could be heard. So I was wondering, you know, you came, you were an entrepreneur and you came into government. Um, so, you know, what are some of the key challenges, management or otherwise, uh, that you've faced in your role at FSA? And, and, and maybe you could give us an insight into how you sort of uh, dealt with those challenges or addressed them. Right. Um, wow. I will say going from a very fast paced startup, small team, you can get it done, environment and transitioning into big government. It takes years to move this Titanic ship around sort of uh, level of intensity. Uh, it, it was very challenging because for me, a lot of times I might end my day going, but why not? Like I'm, I, I still at some point am so confused on why we can't do certain things. The fact that we had transition in leadership is um, probably been my biggest learning experience because, you know, just me personally talking as I, from both administrations coming in, both sides haven't had an opportunity to really do deep dives into some of the products and projects that were that exist. Things get shut down. To me, tax dollars are getting wasted because of um, just something you've been working on for three years just get shut down without a proper assessment. And maybe re remolding it could be a better solution versus just totally uh, shutting it down. Because again, I, I'm just seeing millions of dollars just go wasted just due to leadership and administration change. So that was something that was an eye opener for me because I've always heard that that happens in government, but seeing it firsthand was a challenge. But what I have been able to do successfully is um, build relationships around the organization and um, find the right people that can help to move the needle forward um, on, on good ideas and bringing them into like a working group and working with us to um, develop those ideas, being able to have the right allies throughout the organization to me seems to be the biggest key to success to move the to move an idea forward is, is developing the right relationships and allies to help really almost lobby the ideas through the organization, to be honest. What has surprised you most since taking over your role at FSA and, and, and coming into government from where you were? Surprised me the most was, um, you know, hearing around, just hearing the, the comment around the organization, that's not our job. Our job is to get the loans out the door and get the aid out of the door to disperse aid. And for me, I'm, you know, I often think, well, what about the coming back in? We need to get these loans back in the door from, because I'm a former financial services background. So repayment is, is, is truly key to me. Um, so I think when my biggest surprise was how adamant the organization teams can be very about their particular role of, I get aid out the door. That's what I do. And then, you know, feeling as if some of the other ideas that are out of scope that may be providing more information to students, parents, and borrowers or to the organization as a whole is out of scope. So if it's out of scope, then we don't touch it versus necessarily what's best for all. Because that's how I move. Not Just because something's out of scope for me doesn't mean we don't, we don't attack it. 
That's a great, uh, that's another great segue into, you know, what, what attracted you to federal service from the startup space? Absolutely. So this is my second run in government public servant uh, space uh, right out of college. I joined the military. I was in the Army Reserves. I did eight years, um, served on the Iraqi Freedom Time, and I am a service-connected disabled veteran. Went on to work for HSBC Bank and Financial Services, both from the um, origination, underwriting, um, servicing of mortgages to the retail bank and business development of the HSBC banks in Washington, D.C., uh, then was later recruited to come to a specialty financing company that works with lottery winners and large lawsuit clients uh, to finance the lump sum up front. Then I wanted to fall back into technology, go into technology and learn a little bit more. Um, but when I got into that space, I realized mm, I'm not really a technology heavy person. Like I like the idea of innovation and technology and learning how technology can move in advance, but I don't want to be the necessarily the executor of the O's and the ones and the ones and the O's. That didn't interest me. And so I fell back out of learning how to code versus being more of a tech innovation leader and bringing my financial services background to figure out what are some things that I learned in financial services around alternative data, where can I apply that? And so that's how I, I sort of fell into this problem of student loan and student loan debt. I was going to tackle the repayment. You got a bunch of student loans. How can we crowdsource, crowdfund uh, resources to help get you out of debt? Um, but what I found is that a lot of students started coming to my platform looking for ways to get into debt. And a lot of people get surprised when I said it. It was like, students came to you looking to get into debt. And I was like, yeah, this is why I know the problem found me because when I launched the um, company Pay Your Tuition, people literally was coming to pay their tuition and what we found was a very unique problem was the student loan debt is a problem, but student loan debt in no degree is a larger problem. So we had students for as little as $800 to up to about $5,000 that would make it to junior or senior year, and they tapped out of resources. And due to lack of no credit, no um, co-signer or no collateral, they couldn't get access to traditional loans to fill that gap, and which would cause them to drop out and or they think stop out, but they never return, which becomes a dropout. And when we looked at the portfolio, most of the defaulters were people who had student loan debt and no degree because they never finished. And so um, did really well with trying to find alternative ways to help um, banks and, and private lenders further assess the thin credit file student. Um, and my former, uh, excuse me, my mentor, who's the former CEO of American Express, mentioned that in the last administration that some there was a leader who was leading FSA just wanted a right the right group of people who understood this problem working on this next gen next gen initiative and so the exact phrase was Stacy you've helped well we got the Martin Luther King award at the Department of Education that was the first piece and then the second tap on the shoulder was you've helped a couple of thousands of students now come help 40 million and I was like, you want me to leave my company to come help? But, you know, how can you say no? Because if you care about this problem, how can you say no to the opportunity to help, to really, really have impact by helping millions of families versus the day-to-day -day on the ground helping one student at a time? So it was really me taking the opportunity to help more students um, versus the current startup path that I was on. That actually is a nice um, segue when you mentioned a mentor, Stacy. I was wondering if you could outline for me your the leadership principles you follow and perhaps illustrate how you've applied them in your career. And more importantly, Stacey, from your perspective, both with your 
your military service, your federal service, and your and your um, entrepreneurial spirit. What makes an effective leader? Absolutely. Um, I two two things: good people, good 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 people who care about the mission, literally are joined at the hips with you to to go through the day to day trenches of the hustle and bustle of of moving the needle in the space, and also um, the ability to follow and keep the mission at focus and then allowing all the other things, the, the, the profits and the revenue and the operations, all those things typically fall, fall in line as long as you stay focused on the mission to who and what you're trying to serve. Um, being able to always try to come up with a solution that satisfies every, I not satisfies everybody, but you can, you can, you can bend a little bit on your decision-making to try to get everybody on board to move forward. Because if you're trying to move the mission forward, you know, just having that flexibility uh, is, it's been a big key in trying to, to be a, a voice of reason in a very um, intense environment, um, both in startup space and in such a hot topic, being able to bring rally people together is, is a key piece. So, um, one of my investors and mentors said, to me once before, Stacey, your ability to get people to work for you for free is amazing. And it's not that I get people to work for me for free. It's just that I find people who are just as passionate about these problems. And we literally jump in the trenches together to go after solving. What is the mission of the Federal Student Aid Idea Lab? We'll explore this question and so much more with Stacey Wissanon, the Innovation and Strategy Team Leader at FSA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Stacey Wissanot, Innovation and Strategy Team Leader within the Office of Federal Student Aid at the U.S. Department of Education. Uh, you know, during your stint, your recent stint um, at FSA and, you know, setting up uh, sort of the ideas lab in that, in that environment, what were your key strategic priorities? What were your priorities and what did you want to accomplish? What were you focusing on? So um, what was near and dear to my heart was the fact that the branding of federal student aid, and I still believe this and I'm hoping that even after, you know, my time at FSA that the, the, the current administration um, really understands that the mobile experience is a way that we stay in contact with 
our borrowers. It's really disheartening to know that all this money is deployed every year uh, to so many families. But a lot of people don't even realize federal student aid. You hear, oh, Sally Mae. Like, oh, or every time someone's mad about their student loans, they're fussing about Sally Mae. In reality, no one really understands the brand of federal student aid. And I believe that from a fintech perspective, federal student aid has the ability to be one of the largest fintech companies out there because they're not just one bank. They're an aggregated bank across the nation um, that both students, parents and borrowers have to sort of engage with. And the fact that the brand is not very strong enough where uh, we should be the single source of truth so that if you get in spam calls or scam calls around um we're going to eliminate your student loans why don't we why don't why don't the community know to come to federal student aid to double check before they uh possibly get scammed and again it's because the branding is is um we got cut we're such in this government bubble of marketing and branding that establishing us as a single source of truth is it seemed to be you know my biggest like priority still and 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 I'll tell anybody federal student aid go there if, if it's not coming from if if the information is not coming from there it's probably not so mm-hmm. that's a good point so you know what are some of the um maybe you kind of alluded to it in terms of how FSA can enhance its brand and and actually as the aggregator uh, kind of change the way it does business and i was wondering what what other specific internal drivers maybe external trends shaped and informed your strategy or how you approached work while at FSA? Um, I would say the biggest piece of data when I got there is I heard, I haven't heard as much recently, but um, I definitely heard a lot of when we first um, got back the data to show that people didn't realize how they got into, so they didn't know about their student loans and how much debt they were in until it was too late. And so for me, I think that going back to the branding and having some touch point with um, the customers throughout their journey, they shouldn't have to graduate to get after six months after graduation just to get this huge bill for $100,000 and a $1,000 a month payment now. And they have to figure it out that the journey of the road to adding up of, of the $100,000, how, how do you get there should not come up at the end of your journey. It should be a full, a full journey. I was wondering, you, you talked earlier Stacy, about the Idea Lab um, at FSA. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what it does or what its intended purpose is, and, and how is it positioned to do the sort of innovate, design, execute, and award from within the agency while having lasting impact on higher education funding? So um, I imagine that um, the, the way I think about the Idea Lab is is trying to create a very um, safe place for ideas to incubate and to be test, tested out um, to see if there's if there's any validity to the idea um, to see how maybe you know focus groups respond to potentially um, craft solutions that could help both internal and external processes and so we originally. Um, we, we were going to use the Idea Lab as a place to just test mobile ideas, things that could be used in the mobile app experience. But then leadership who, you know, the last leadership who cares about people said, I want a place for people to come and also feel valued as employees. And maybe some of the ideas are not going to always 
help the public, but it's helping the public internally, even if we can automate some of our processes internally. And so I want our employees to be able to um, come to you without worrying about, is my manager going to be upset or will I be blackballed for bringing this to light or considered whistleblowing or whatever the case may be. And so this is a safe place where they can come and submit those ideas and we can work on it. And some of them are high tech, some of them are no tech, and some of them just need uh, the visibility of leadership. And we present on a monthly cadence to leadership, two or three good ideas and get guidance from leadership on how to proceed, whether that's uh, putting it on a parking lot saying, no, not now, or it's, yeah, I want to find out more about that. Let's do a feasibility study or let's do a small pilot. And so that typically helps the employees also feel great about being recognized and also being heard. And they get really excited because they think, wow, this process that was tedious or hard or didn't make any sense actually may get changed. So it also makes them hopeful that um, there is change or innovation on the way, or at least it's now visible to leadership, whether it it happens or not, it, it, it does give a glimmer of hope. And a glimmer of hope. That's a good way to lead it to my next uh, question about about your, you know, how does your philosophy for equal educational access align with the department's strategic focus? Um, so basically it aligns with the strategic focus ultimately to help drive better outcomes of the portfolio, um, being able to get more information out to people to make better decisions, um, as well as, um, uh, the transparency of knowing what you owe is, is a key piece because the, us as a performance-based organization, how we perform and how the portfolio performs is a is one of the key metrics that's um, that's being looked at on how well we're doing as an organization. So, being able to get good information out so that families can make great decisions uh, then helps us as an organization um, show that we are executing um, executing as a performance based organization. So, you know, Stacy, where do you see the government support for students heading? as uh, we see all the impacts of COVID-19 on the educational community? Um, well, you know, we are experiencing, you know, people or families questioning the quality and the opportunity cost of attending higher education um, organizations. It's my goal that with COVID and, and as things happen, that the institutions themselves, the schools will assess how education is being delivered and at what cost. So I think that there's a great opportunity for some disruption in the um, in the higher education space from the institution level to um, really dig into um, priorities and, and cost structure to maybe make going to college a little bit more affordable because going back to my original point about debt and no degree, the, the gap between aid to cost is growing and it's just causing more and more people to get into debt and not have the positive outcomes that we need as a nation. We need everybody to complete their degree so that they can get the jobs that, you know, would afford them to be able to pay back their loans. That's an interesting point. And I think that's, a, that's a, I hope they heed your advice there because, you know, what are some of the challenges the government faces in being able to support students 
in their educational journey? And you alluded to a couple of them already. Um, biggest challenge is filling the gap. Definitely uh, the cost to what um, the algorithm that the government has run as a uh, eligibility algorithm around what your family can afford from an aid and a loan perspective is just not aligned with the cost. And so we have to take a step back and figure out what what can we do here? Because the government can only do so much across the board. And that's the one of the main challenges of the government is that we want to see everyone successful that comes through the pipeline. But again, being able to spread the dollars across the board so that it's fair to everyone is, is one of the main challenges. Um, and, and also to the challenge of what to do with the current portfolio. You know, I, you hear so much on the news about what to do. Um, and I, and I won't go into too much on this call out of, you know, um, what I can and can't discuss, but I will say that I think that, um, having a heavier financial services committee, really deep diving in the portfolio to come up with solutions and being more open to the suggestions, um, may, um, or could possibly, correct some of the issues in the existing portfolio. But my my biggest piece is how do we not get back into the, so we we sell out the debt and we, we write off all this debt, then how do we not get back into this problem? I haven't really heard all of the solutions that will, that will help make sure that as a nation, we don't get back into the student loan bubble crisis. How can we infuse innovation into our agency's culture? We will ask Stacey Wissanoff the Innovation and Strategy Team Leader at FSA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security, in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Stacey Wissanoff, Innovation and Strategy Team Leader within the Office of Federal Student Aid at the U.S. Department of Education. And I'd like to transition more into probably your, what I would call in some ways your sweet spot, and that is the intersection between, you know, fintech and an innovation. And and where I'm going with this is how has Ed embraced the concept in your world, the FSA, of innovation? I think that um, definitely I will say in my last, uh, with the last administration, they did a really great job of trying to be supportive of the word innovation and some of the ideas. We, we launched a series called Tech Tuesdays, where when I first got there, 
Um, for me, I felt like a lot of what I did experience in the edtech, fintech space, education technology, financial education technology um, space that I would hear a lot of, oh, well, we can't do this. Well, we can't do that here. We don't do that. And we don't, it's just, we, I just almost felt like we can't do anything. I'm like, well, we can't get around here. Uh, so, but then I was going, but these companies are doing it. We can't do it, but look at these great companies that are finding ways to help students apply for more scholarships by creating the common app for scholarships that actually applies to scholarships versus, and this is not a ding against any aggregator of scholarships, but you know, at least when I was in school, you say, I'm looking for scholarships, you'll get back a whole of places to go. But we have fintech companies and edtech companies who are innovating. You don't have to just not only get matched with the application, but they are helping you to apply and get you know, get applications out the door versus just being told where to go. And so even though that's out of scope, that's out of our world, this Tech Tuesday series, we were able to get all the way up to the deputy secretary to come in and sit in and just hear what fintech, edtech companies are doing that they're saying we can't do. And hopefully the goal there was is that people will go back to their desk and get creative on their day-to-day work and try to um, ignite that innovation mindset within their day-to-day work. That was my goal was for Tech Tuesdays was to just at least expose the organization to what's happening around them, whether they wanted to pick it up, pick up any of the exposure, any of the resources or not. It wasn't about coming in, we're going to procure and we're going to do our RFP. It would, no, we just, I just need you to know what's going on out there. This was my main goal. That's terrific. You know, I was wondering Earlier on, you mentioned your time when you first got there, but what has helped you during your time infuse innovation into the culture of the agency at whatever level of maturation? Um, Absolutely. So I think that being able to do some of the impossible was was seen as believing. So there, there were a few ideas that we had to just go around and and probably make a couple of people upset, but getting it done and quickly uh, was my biggest piece. So by the time they looked up, it was done. So now you got to come back and be mad because I got it done. Okay, that's the worst that I'm not mad about that. Like I'm and, and if you want me out of here because I'm executing, then I'm, I'm I'm in the wrong place. However, so it would be little. It would be the littlest things when I would get there of you. Um, we need to have a room to meet. So we took a conference room and we just made it look Google-like, even though it was, you know, for me, it was, everyone was like, oh, wow, well, where did you get all this money to do this? We, I've been trying to get money to do this for years. And that, so the first thing they came when they came in there, you know, the first thing that they're saying is we're trying to figure out where I get money. When in actuality, I never got a dime of money. Um, it cost me time. My, you know, it did cost time for me to walk around the building and build relationships with just the facility guys who took me to the garage and found new chairs that were never used. And we brought them up and we created this lab. But being able to be resourceful like that and not and not taking no for an answer to get things done. Um, the, the idea lab in itself was probably the easiest thing to explain was us walking around the building, building really good relationships. And people who believed in what we were trying to do, help us out here, take this whiteboard here, take this uh, extra desk over here. And we created a lab just to create the place to convene, to come. Um, But again, the first, some of the first things was, where'd you get the money from to do this? And how come, you know, who told you it was okay to do that? That type of thing. So, you know, that was 
for me, I, I was okay with it because now everyone loves, like we get requests all the time because when we were not in the virtual environment, can we meet here? This is such a fun place to even meet. It helps me think different because it's just not the basic born conference room as normal throughout the building. And I, again, I apologize if these terms seem a little exaggerated, but I, you know, that's just how I see it. In general, given your experience, I want to, I want to take it out of the federal context, but in general, you know, how important is it when you get to an organization to, to really cultivate uh, a culture of is taking innovation? And, and perhaps you could allude to it with respect to FSA. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You definitely have to take, you have to go find the people who think like you, the people who say, who said I can't get it done? It's those type of people who like those type of challenges. You have to definitely find the people that have that similar mindset of feeling challenged to go and prove the naysayers wrong type of people. And then you have to also find the support for people who are like, I know I can't get it done, but I'm in a leadership role that can help you. And I just want to keep empowering you to go, 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 go. So I definitely have been very fortunate enough to have leadership who lets me, I always use the word, let me run around the building wild a little bit to kind of figure out where and how to get it done versus having to follow this very strict process. Um, and I mean, literally, it's been times I would go into leadership's office late at night and say, because again, Stacy's getting summoned to the office. What did I do now? What did I do? And it was almost like, I, I mean, I, I cared, but I know I, I know that I'm not doing anything wrong from an ethical standpoint. So I just moving forward until someone tells me to stop. You know, um, what would you suggest, Stacey, agencies looking to establish their own innovation studios, labs, centers? How would they get started? What should they do to get started? I think they definitely should take a step to back to see, you know, going back to my Tech Tuesday um, piece, the piece where I said uh, we use to educate and innovate was um, our Tech Tuesday piece. I found that one, it was a hit. It was just something different to see these cool startups doing almost a Shark Tank pitch night type of real quick, fast paced. We don't need a long briefing, long hour meeting. We just need three minutes to tell us what you do and let us jump in and ask questions. I think that it would be a great assessment to um, get a temperature check for what's out in the market in their space and what's being innovated. Um, And then determine a way to expose that to the organization in a way where, again, I went through OGC, I went through levels of legal and acquisitions to say, look, no one's coming to buy anything. And the question was, well, why would the startup come and tell you their secret sauce? They're not going to give me they're just going to tell us the outputs of what they do. They're not coming to sell their secret sauce. I just need you to understand to be exposed to what they are doing to see if one, one, there's a reason why they exist. It's probably because we created an opportunity for them because of something we're not doing. Um, and so uh, I think that it's a good place to start is doing a very good deep dive assessment of if you're in health, do a health tech incubator assessment and see what are the incubators doing in health tech. If you're in housing, doing a housing tech assessment and seeing what's out there, education, ed tech, you know, whatever space, there's an innovation space for every sector of government. Stacey, how important is the culture shift towards innovation in your mind, corporate-wise, federal-wise? How important is that shift? I think it's the most important thing because I look at... (laughs) 
I look at Elon Musk and what everything he's been told he can't do, right? And just um, seeing where the world's going and how fast it's going. I mean, the government is the is the mecca of the people. So I don't understand. What I can't understand is why is the government behind in innovation and not leading the innovation? On a larger scale, and that kind of leads into your statement just now, is like on a larger scale, what would you like to see government as a whole do or provide to make it easier for agencies, regardless of, you know, what their mission is um, to innovate? What can it do? I would love for this administration to really um, focus on innovation being a top priority uh, almost at the White House level. And and I've talked about this um, to numerous people of how, you know, where all the innovation leaders like myself within the organization um, how can there be a uh, aggregated community that reports into the into the White House to be able to let the innovation league know what are some of the cool trending ideas that they would like to implement, but they are maybe facing hurdles because of X, Y, and Z. Usually, data and money. Data and money is always something about we can't do something because of data, and it's always something we can't do because of money. Um, I'm trying to. I've been trying to think through the best way to balance the innovation leaders reporting into the White House to to make sure that the agencies also feel like um, it's a good thing. It's not a, we're not telling on the organization, but there needs to be a higher level of exposure and empowerment from that level to then drive innovation back down through the agencies versus us trying to drive it up. How has your approach to innovation impacted not just your recent work, but whether it be, you know, just your career, every place you go, how's your approach impacted the way the organization innovates? Um, I think there's the not taking no for an answer. Someone made a comment one time around the organization when I first got there. You might as well give her what she wants. She's not going away. She doesn't, again, doesn't take no for an answer. She's just going to keep going. She's going to go to leadership and tell on you. No, 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 no. It's not definitely not that. When that was said about me one time, I was like, but I'm the one not going to leadership telling on on people. I'm just trying to get it done. But also, too, it it was a thing where the, the no or no, not now mentality is it was was something that I had to do is is trying to figure out well why not and then what can we do to work through the no and is there a way to work through the no so for every no I always have usually a pretty good comeback to why that no can be turned into either no not now or maybe to what extent can collaboration and partnerships drive innovation we'll explore this question and much more when our conversation continues on the business of government hour How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan-Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. This is the Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness. Brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. 
I'm Michael Keegan, Managing Editor of the Business of Government magazine. The Center this week is our opportunity to inform and, most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the IBM Center for the Business of Government as your resource, a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal level. What are key leadership qualities for a digital age? How can we become a mindful leader? And what tools and practices can be employed to better lead ourselves, our teams, and our organizations? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Jacqueline Carter, co-author with Rasmus Hugard of The Mind of the Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. So before we delve into your book, The Mind of the Leader, what is leadership and how does it differ from managing? I think there are a lot of different answers to that question. What I would say is that anyone can be a leader. Anyone that is inspiring to others, anyone that feels that they have a vision and somewhere that they can help other people if other people so choose to follow them. Whereas management is more of a title. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of the things that we've seen is management is more what you do. I think leadership is more who you are and how you show up. And leadership, I think, is something that you, you earn. You may be in a leadership role, but for you to really consider me your leader, I think that's something of a privilege and something that I need to demonstrate to you that I'm actually worthy of that title. That's great. So it's a nice distinction. And as you were putting the book together, and I know you've, you, you and your co-author did a lot of research on this book, but I'm wondering what are some of the key challenges that you have seen in, in developing your work that leaders face today? It was actually one of the reasons why we wrote the book, because we've been working so with Potential Project, we've been working with leaders for over the past decade. And what we really saw is that over the last two or three years, that leadership, quite honestly, it's getting really tough to be a leader today. And I think any of the listeners can probably relate to this. But a combination of, you know, first of all, we know that the world is changing so quickly. There's not an industry, and it's really quite amazing. There's not an industry that isn't facing some kind of technology disruption. In addition to that, we know that we're inundated with distractions. We're working in environments where we're on all the time, which is actually not good for the brain, which we can focus on in a little bit. But we're inundated with distractions and also, I think that, you know, we know that in terms of the next generation the, of, of workers, they're not necessarily as committed or as loyal as we might have been. I know in my early days, in when I started with Deloitte Consulting many years ago, I was so happy to have that job and have that role. And I wanted to stay for as long. I worked late. I didn't mind. And I think now, quite rightly, I think, because I think it's a human characteristic, but workers today, they have a lot more opportunity. They have a lot more flexibility. They can work from their living room and work for any company in the world. So they, good good talent, I think, and everybody knows this, they're looking to say, well, what do you actually have for me? And so I think that we're seeing that in the engagement scores. And you take all of these factors, and in addition to that, we know that a lot of organizations are focused very much on short-term results. So the quarterly earnings reports get a lot of pressure. I think that you combine all of those things, and I think it's just more difficult for leaders today to be successful than it was even five, ten years ago. Fascinating. You're absolutely right. And, you know, um, given the research you did for the book, um, and it really goes to the heart of what you're talking about. What can leaders today, with all the things you just described, what types of qualities have you identified, um, mental qualities, stand out 
in certain leaders. Yeah, what we saw, and it was really wonderful, and as you mentioned, we did a ton of research, and I just want to shout out to appreciation for all of the C-suite executives. We interviewed over 250 C-suite executives. We did assessments of 35,000 leaders from around the globe. We did um, survey assessments of Mm -hmm. over 1,000 from 72 countries. So it was, I just really want to appreciate the time and the commitment that we had in terms of engaging with leaders in these questions. And they were really interested to share with us both their challenges and what we really saw, and especially at the C-suite level, what we really kept on seeing was this ability to be mindful, which really means the ability to be be here and be present, was the first quality. The second quality, which was really amazing to us, is this idea of being selfless, this idea of the leaders that we spoke to that said, if I let my ego drive me, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so one of the biggest things for me is to keep my ego in check. So selflessness. And the third quality, bringing in this idea of compassion, which many people might think as being soft and flaky, but in the leaders that we interviewed, what they said is, you know, compassion is actually strategic because... If we take care of our people, ultimately, we'll be able to be more successful in how we support our customers and our clients and and everything that we need to do. So your book, The Mind of the Leader, explains how by applying these qualities that you just noted, mindfulness, selflessness, and compassion, first to yourself, then to the people you lead, and then to your ultimately to your organization, will lead to extraordinary results. Um, I'd like to go through each one of these different mental qualities that you talked about. And first, why is it critically important and almost foundational to understand how you lead and who you are? I think that uh, when we looked at a lot of leadership development programs today, they will start with external factors, Mm -hmm. like how good you are at strategy or how good you are at marketing or how good you are at finance, all really important qualities. But it's kind of like building a house and starting with a roof. If you don't fundamentally understand who you are and how you show up, and most importantly, and this is really the mind of the leader gets into how your mind actually works then you're really missing out on the opportunities to be able to dive deeper into how you want to show up. What is your vision for yourself as a leader? What are the values that are important to you? And based on those values and that vision that you have for yourself of what kind of leader you want to be, how can you actually make sure that you work towards achieving those? And I think specifically for a lot of leaders, what we saw is that what got you here won't get you there. So leaders who are really successful rising up through the ranks in their career, they get to this inflection point where all of those great things that they were really good at, maybe they were really good at, you know, strategy, or maybe they were a creative type, or maybe they were really good at engineering. And when they get put in that that one leadership role where now they actually have to get others to be creative, others to be able to develop the projects and tools and systems, it takes a different mind. And so to start with understanding your own mind and understanding your own journey and what you need to do, that's really why we see starting with the mind is the critical path for leaders to be able to develop into the kind of leader they want to be. What are the reasons for when many leaders start to feel powerful they lose the qualities that we're talking about. Why is that the case? Yeah, this was really interesting in looking at the research in terms of what happens from a neurological perspective as we start to rise up the ranks. One of the things that naturally happens to us is that our ego, because we all have one, starts to think, I'm pretty important. Mm-hmm. And you can think of it, you know, as a leader, you're standing up there, you're the one who's doing the presentation, you're the one that people are coming to. 
it's just very natural for your ego to start telling you, wow, you're special. And it actually feeds into what actually is detrimental to us to be able to better engage our people. Because if I start to think I'm something special, I'm really important, it makes it more difficult for me to recognize that leadership isn't about me. Because <laughs> if it's all about me, I shouldn't be in a leadership role. Leadership is actually about us. How can we achieve the results that we need to achieve together? And so that was one of the things that was really interesting that we saw about how specifically challenging it is for us as leaders to keep our ego in check. And specifically, what we saw is the research that shows the downside of having a big ego in leadership. And specifically, the first thing is that if you have a big ego, it's really, you're really vulnerable to criticism. So first of all, if somebody says, you know, Jacqueline, I don't like you. If I have a big ego, it's like, ouch. The second thing that's a downside of big ego and leadership is that you're easily susceptible to manipulation. So if you know I have a big ego and that's really important to me, you could say, Jacqueline, you know, you should do this because it'll make you look good. And I'll be like following along or don't do that, Jacqueline. And so you can see how people could easily manipulate you. The third thing is we know that one of the things from a brain perspective is that if we have a big ego, we're more susceptible to see things the way our ego wants us to see them. It's called confirmation bias. And so it makes us more narrow-minded. And finally, ego, having a big ego, if it's all about me, it can corrupt my behavior. So there's just a whole bunch of downsides of ego. And like I said, but it's natural. It's just if you did not start to develop a big ego as you rose up in the ranks of leadership, you would be odd from a brain perspective. So it's nice to say, oh, I want to be a humble leader, but it's hard. And I think that's one of the key things that was so inspiring is recognizing the downsides of ego and recognizing bringing humility into your leadership, something you really have to be intentional about. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Stacey Wissenau, Innovation and Strategy Team Leader within the Office of Federal Student Aid at the U.S. Department of Education. You know, I was wondering during your tenure, let's let's bring it back to FSA, and th- during your time there, you know, how important or, and, and how did you do this? I mean, you, you've alluded through it with several anecdotes at least, you know, whether it's the facility folks at the building that got you the chairs or, or what have you, but even larger, how have you used partnerships and collaboration to improve your outcomes? And to what extent can both collaboration and partnership drive innovation? Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the best classes that I took was at Georgetown University during my time there, um, during my time at FSA was called the Social Impact Design, where it takes public and private partnership uh, model to um, be able to drive innovation. And that specialty design of who are the outside private partners I could bring to the table to execute was something that really opened up my mind and thinking. And so where I run into a lot of challenges and hurdles at FSA, being able to establish a um, a partnership with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, who really cares about this before the future of the business, the small businesses for America, they 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 launched a program called Talent Finance and that Talent Finance 
literally focuses on everything, innovating how to pay for the future talent, um, which falls in our world. And so being able to set up a partnership with them lets us set at the table to see what's out there. More than likely, we can't do it. That's I kind of come to that conclusion of what, what's being innovated we can't do. However, when big ideas come through our organization, I have a place to now drop those ideas with a partner who could maybe innovate much quicker, faster, better solutions than we can on in the federal student aid side. And so being able to establish a partnership in a, in a sandbox, a place where ideas can be dropped and worked on in a safe manner outside of your organization, to me has seemed to be a really great, uh, a really great um, resource because when I'm getting these ideas that are out of scope, but they do fall in our world, then I can um, send it over to our partner who, you know, our goal is that they come back with an even better solution than what was pitched to us. That's terrific. Uh, you know, by the time this might air, um, you you may be moving you'll be moving on. But I was wondering, what are the three key things you would like our listeners to take away about your efforts with FSA to innovate and experiment? Um, I definitely uh, would love to uh, make sure that the students, parents, and borrower experience is um, made made such a priority that the organization is willing to go out of scope or push the need, push the envelope a little bit further to bring in the right resources and tools that can help the uh, our customers make better decisions before their journey, before they even become a customer of ours, and even throughout their journey. And then on the backside, when they're paying us, if we can um, be able to provide better resources to the public, I wish that I'm hoping that we can be more open to being a bridge and a place that will will at least um, provide that to the public and be able to ensure that the public's getting the because even my own sister called one time because she was about to get scammed with a student loan scammer because this for as, as fast as we can shut them down, they pop back up so fast. Um, you know, I just wish it was a place where she could come and just double check before she talks to anybody about her student loans, which should be federal student aid. So establishing that brand and having more better resources for um, our customers, that that's the, the main things that's important to me. And my goal is, is that it gets delivered through the best mobile experience that can be created. So those are my three things. No, well, that's great. You know, I was wondering, what has been some of your proudest moments in your federal role? Um, two, two proud moments. So, um, the, the moment that the federal student aid and U.S. Department of Education really got on my radar in my, uh, startup journey was when we did receive the Martin Luther King Award, the drum major award for exemplifying higher, um, civil rights and higher education. That was a very, very proud moment for me because, um, a lot of my friends and family have made jokes because I, I would, you know, often say on my journey, oh man, fighting for equality is hard. I don't understand how Martin Luther King did it. And uh, the joke is, Stacey, don't you ever compare yourself to Martin Luther King ever again. Uh, and so when we received the award, it was very nice to go back and say, well, someone thinks that I'm kind of like Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a really proud moment. I mean, just my name and Martin Luther King in the same sentence is just as proud as I could be for anything. Um, and so- that was one of the moments that also made me um, feel like I wanted to take a step aside from the startup to work on this work on this journey with federal student aid. And that was something that um, that I'll forever be proud of. And then um, 
at Federal Student Aid, being able to get the first employee awarded and recognized by senior leadership for creating almost like a digital workbook to make it easier for schools to um, send in their compliance, um, their compliance audit trail uh, information, being able to streamline that to make it more effective and get the employee recognized and also a small monetary award was a proud moment because again, the idea lab was just an idea. But once we got that employee paid, it went from an idea to a real thing, which um, you know, I'm, I'm at least proud to say that before I walked out of there, we got one idea through the process of government. <laughs> that's that's terrific. Um, you know, Stacy, as we close this conversation, I was wondering what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? Um Patience, patience, patience. And that's something that I'm still teaching myself that um, in all of the the fun, crazy things that I could think of that could make government better, I have to be patient to realize that it does have a really big impact on a lot of lives. So being thoughtful and being patient to make ideas uh, come come true that, you know, you really have to dig deep and make sure that you practice your patience, your tolerance and patience um, skills to stick with, to stick with it, the work, to see the work to the finish line. Uh, maybe, maybe before we close, what's next for you? So I will, um, I am very proud to be, um, a part of a initiative of Freddie Mac where they will be working to drive black home ownership in um, overall for the portfolio. There's a, there's a big diversity initiative that, um, you know, it's been recognized that after years and years and years of um, mortgage origination, that only 3% of the portfolio has gone to black homeowners. And so I'm really excited to just be able to, talk about how do we get more black people into homes and be able to talk about it without, you know, having to tiptoe about the, around the subject around, you know, race or anything, being able to speak really freely about the, the, the disparities in the space, as well as really big ideas that could help increase home ownership. And so to me, it's the same customer. How do we take the student loan debt customer and now make them homeowners? So I'm really excited to kind of continue along the financial journey of the underserved. Right. Well, Stacey, I want to thank you for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule, but uh, also want to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all taking the time to hear what I had to say. And I look forward to if anyone wants to reach out to me or follow me on LinkedIn and definitely on this journey, I opened um, that opportunity as well. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Stacey Wissenhoff, the Innovation and Strategy Team Leader at Federal Student Aid within the U.S. Department of Education. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.